0: Hey everyone, this is George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School, with another interview for you here on the No Film School podcast. My guests today are Kami Asgar, a supervising sound editor, and a sound designer, Jessica Parks. Kami's resume is long and impressive. I wouldn't even know how to begin to talk about all the movies that you've seen or heard of that he's done sound work on from, you know, Secretariat, Venom to Apocalypto. I can't even like the list is just endless. Uh, He's done a ton. Jessica Parks was a production executive, a post-production executive at Sony who worked with Connie. And then as you find out through the course of the interview at a certain point, she became interested in actually getting her hands dirty in actual sound design. So she stepped away from that and started working with him more closely on the sound design part of things. Um, But she had been an exec at Sony prior and worked on projects from Star Trek Beyond to Star Trek Into Darkness to Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, um, and, of course, the first Venom. And you'll find out more about their careers and how they've intertwined through the course of this interview. But I just want to lead into it by saying people don't realize how – many jobs there are and careers there are in, in the industry. A lot of people come into this thinking, you know, you can be a director, you can be a writer. And we talk about this in the interview, but one of the things that I learned very early on was a friend of mine who went to USC grad school told me that in an early class, they showed some scenes from Star Wars with just the production sound. And if you haven't seen those clips, we've written about them on you No know, Film School. They've been on YouTube for a while. You hear Peter Mayhew who plays Chewbacca speaking through the mask in his cockney English accent and you just hear, you know, the weirdness of of the set and the production sound. And it doesn't sound good and it's not the finished movie and it helps emphasize exactly how much of the movie happens in the sound. In the soundtrack in the music, in the effects, in the re-recorded elements, in the in all of it. And one of the reasons they do that at USC, or they used to, is because they emphasize that everybody showing up thinks they're going to be a director, but very few of them will direct feature films. And most feature film directors don't direct many feature films in their careers. Directing is 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 not a, you know, it's not a plentiful opportunity. But there's a lot of other things you can do. And as Kami and Jessica point out, some of them are extremely creative and rewarding and impactful on the finished product. So without any more talk from me, we'll get right into talking to Kami and Jessica. Thanks again, both of you, for joining us today, uh, Jessica Parks and Cami Asgar. Is that the correct pronunciation? It's Kami Asgar. Kami Asgar. Um, thank you both for being here. Um, and you know, we don't often have uh, on the podcast people who have such uh, rich experience in in sound. So I feel. Like, we did have Walter Merch, which is really exciting.
1: Uh, Dude. (laughs) (laughs) Other than the most.
0: So I'm I'm just going to put that out there. No pressure.
1: (laughs) We had one once. Um, No
2: pressure. (laughs) He spoke some gibberish about sound. You know?
0: <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, that one was intimidating for me because I was just like, oh man, like, what do I even, how do I, not that you guys aren't intimidating in your own way because you are, but, <laughs> but, then, but he was, with him, it was just like, I've read all the books. So what do I even ask you? Um,
2: I, I don't think I've written a pamphlet. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, I always like to start by asking people about what, initially brought them because you know no film school it's an educational site and we try to help people figure out or find you know entry points into the industry but we also have a lot of readers and listeners who are well along their way but I like to ask guests what was sort of the beginning for you in the field like what brought you in
1: uh sure in the field of of just audio
0: yeah and filmmaking like what where did it begin for <laughs> filmmaking you? Yeah.
1: come on filmmaking oh just filmmaking
0: (laughs) and audio Uh, it it (laughs) can all however it worked
1: however it started and
0: however it came together for me i was (laughs) not
2: not no audio school
1: (laughs) (laughs) nope no audio school Uh, i took the most traditional possible path uh which is sort of coming to the decision when you're a teenager that this might be the next step of your life, really when you're at the height of not knowing what in the heck you're supposed to do next. Uh, I, I, uh, I discovered, I, I took a look at my skills and I saw that I was uh, good at math and I was good at music and what do those things, what, what can those things get you and, um, <laughs> what, <laughs> and uh, what do I like? And just sort of slowly over time narrowed it down to I really like sound for movies. Uh, I was one of those kids who was at the, the theater every single week in the summer uh, watching everything that just came out over summer break. So I thought maybe I can get into get into film. Uh, maybe I can play bassoon for film. I was a, a bassoonist. Uh, maybe I could be a session musician, maybe all these, all these maybes. But really what it kind of took me to was uh, I found a, a program where I could learn about it. And I went to the University of Miami. Their music engineering program there is very top notch. All of the engineers are required to also be music majors. So there's no one in their engineering program that isn't also studying music as a profession and uh, performance and uh, I fell in with those people and just and learned the things I needed to learn there and discovered that I do like it I am good at it and uh, and that the people are my people so that's I would say the very beginning of a long and winding story to where we are now but that's where I started
0: So you were, you were love, you loved movies, but you also knew that music, math, engineering, like that, that audio was the place within the industry for you. Like that was all that it, kind of in.
1: Yeah, yeah. I knew that those were things that came fairly naturally to me. Uh, things that. I don't know if you've had this experience, but uh, sometimes you're just good at a thing that other people aren't good at, and it's perplexing to you how they're not good at it. No, I haven't. Sort of... <laughs> I'd love to have that experience one day. But... <laughs> well, <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> um... <laughs> well, unfortunately for me, that happened with math.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes.
1: So, uh, you know, it's not a very sexy thing to be good at. But I thought, why why not capitalize on this skill I seem to have? Can I work that into the next thing? Should I try to work it in? Maybe it's not what I end up doing. And, uh, you know, my mom, who was a single parent, but was very much not that person who had a plan for me. She always wanted me to uh, follow what I thought I wanted to do. And when that changed a few times, she was there for it. She was always backing me up. Uh, When I was in school for... uh When I was in school for sound and went to uh, like the AES convention and and told her about this or that person in the industry who I had met, who I'd had a brief encounter with, uh, uh, there was a Christmas, she wanted to get me a pair of headphones, and she found a way to email every notable person I'd ever met and huh. ask them, what are good headphones?
0: Wow. <laughs> so
1: so, uh, wow. so yes, yeah, yeah, she was very supportive.
0: That's a really good, you know, that's an asset to have somebody who's in your corner in that way, of course, you know, when you're when you're pursuing something that isn't necessarily the beaten path, right?
1: I think for a lot of freelancers in general, not just uh, music or art or sound, uh, just generally people who live that gig life, um, I know that they have a lot of hard, they have a hard time justifying it to their parents at first, and uh, eventually it pays off, but you got to work really hard.
0: Yeah, and how about how about you? What where was your beginning? Where did it start for you?
2: Um, it's funny. Mine is the 180 degree opposite in that I I wanted to uh, I was an architect. I really wanted to be an architect. That was my dream. My grandfather was an architect, and I really wanted to be an architect. My dad, however, was a uh, he owned theaters like uh, movie theaters in Iran um and he owned a sound studio where they used to dub movies and do sound for films and stuff and I you know I was around it a lot when I was when I was a kid I'd always go to my dad's office and stuff but I wasn't really that interested in it um and then my uh I moved here uh when I was like 15 and in school I just pursued um architecture like I was taking double classes in architecture and, and drafting and stuff in, in high school. And I started in college and that was just my mindset. I'm gonna get into <laughs> architecture. So and do I, you
0: have that sorry to interrupt, but I have to ask, do you have that like amazing architect handwriting that architects have?
2: <laughs> I, I used to when I used to do my cue sheets back when we did cue sheets, my handwriting yeah. was was really good and, and it was like, you know, it was perfect for writing cue sheets. Yeah. Nowadays no, I mean, who writes anything? Anymore?
0: Right? No, I mean, yeah, that's just a weird thing. Every time you have to handwrite something these days, it's I was like, oh my god, I don't even know wow, how to do this anymore. But yeah. but yeah, I always, I, 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 always thought that architect handwriting was the coolest. So
2: yeah, it was, and and you know, and that's part of the thing, and especially in drafting, you had to be very precise because you couldn't just erase it, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, unlike Jessica, the my downfall in uh, about second year of college, I realized I'm not going to get far because I was sucked at math. Hmm. I literally could not, you know, and I, and I'd taken trig and calculus and all that kind of stuff. And it was really hard for me to kind of, you know, work that into my brain. Um, but I really had an artistic thing. So I started getting into photography and, and art and, uh, you know, design and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, that sort of brought me into uh, uh, working on Macs, like early Macs, working on Photoshop and Pagemaker and stuff like that. Um, and my dad, at the same time, had a production company out here. And his whole thing was, I I need a sound company because he spent so much money on doing sound for his films. Like, I can just build my own sound company and not have to have that, you know, issue of, of." Uh, um uh, paying for this service that he knows so much about. Um, so he started a sound company. They had bought a Mac two computer at the time. was a color Mac. and nobody in their in their realm knew how to work. They all knew how to work on movieolas and 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 uh, uh, flatbeds, steam bags and stuff like that. and actually working on film, none of them knew how to work on a computer whatsoever. So my dad knew, and i just moved back home uh, because I was out of money. Um, And uh, my dad, like one time at dinner, is like, we just bought this Mac. Do you know anything about it? And uh, and I go, what Mac? And he's like, it's a color to, you know, Mac two or something. And uh, I was like intrigued. I'm like, what? Yeah, I'll come show the guys how to work it. And so I started showing up to the studio at nights and showing the guys like how to work a Mac. And like these guys didn't even know how to move a mouse. I mean, it was that you know, <laughs> early on in the world of, yeah. you know, they would move the mouse and be wowed by the fact that they did something. <laughs> um, so, so I, you know, and I remember the first sound effect I cut. Then this guy was like, So we want to put a gunshot here. And he showed me like where, like, I frame forward, I'd read the manuals and like how to think, how the thing works and stuff. We parked the picture on. On the flash of the gun and and you know he goes pick a gunshot and you know and there's a series of gunshots that were in the um, in in the thing and you know I I previewed it for him like this is how you preview the sounds and and I go like here I just grabbed the gunshot and put it into the timeline and played it back and I was wowed and that was it that was like me going wow that was kind of cool you know and much like Jessica, that's when my you know I came home and told my dad about it you know the next day and and my mom turned around she's like, "Why don't you just go work with your dad and she's always been that person that just slowly pushes you in the in a direction right um, and that's where I started I started working for my dad and um then I started working for different companies I ended up here in sound
0: yeah your uh your resume as a supervising sound editor sound effects editor is massive (laughs) it's it's like it's overwhelming uh we could there's too many projects to talk about and i kind of want to go back because jessica you have you know we're talking about sound and and where that comes in and and, but math you have a lot you you've been a production manager um and you've been a producer and a post-production supervisor so i'm sort of curious for both of you and i think this is really useful for our audience like We've talked about kind of the original inspirations where you get started, but you've done a lot of different things in the industry or you've worked on a lot of different kinds of projects. What uh, Can you tell me a little bit, Jessica, about like being both a sound, like working in sound and post and having that interest in it and being a production manager, which is kind of a different deal?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, So I started in sound. I studied sound, uh, and I moved to New York to try and make it there, and try <laughs> try to get a job. And I was doing okay, uh, but I don't know if you remember. Uh, I know a lot of people, maybe maybe not your audience, which sounds like they're probably on the younger side, but definitely uh, the older side, and not even that much older will remember the writer strike about. 10 or 15 years ago, uh, um, oh, yeah. that, yes. that shut us all down. So as yes. a, as a new young apprentice budding editor, trying to just worm her way onto any mix stage she could, it became very, very, very hard to find the avenues to, to practice that. And, uh, you know, nobody talks about, and this is another facet of sort of the gig worker life, uh, Nobody talks about the side hustle that you do just to to have the privilege to do your paid jobs early on so for me I would get you know a couple of movies a year where I got to be in the room and help out as much as possible and really it's about showing that you're trustworthy and uh, making connections and just having a good Spirit and attitude about everything, Um, but the work just wasn't there. And so, in between, I was taking temp jobs. I was working in a you know a a medical office here, filing, and a tax office there, filing, and doing other things just to make ends meet uh, between gigs—little three, four-week jobs. And um, right as that strike happened, and my my work just started slowly dissipating and pushing and slipping away, uh, I was offered a full-time job at an architecture firm, which is hilarious to me now that I hear <laughs> you. Sorry, <Tommy>. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I worked at an architecture firm. Nya yeah, nya yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh I was the executive assistant to the CEO. Which um, ended up being an incredible uh, on-the-job MBA training uh, that really killed me. It it sucked my soul and my creativity and my heart, and it was just not the place for me to be. But it paid me a lot, and that's what I needed at the time. And I was just saving like crazy because I I sort of knew I wanted to move to Los Angeles as soon as I could afford it. And not only that, I knew that I was ready to. Maybe not do sound. Maybe because uh, here's another thing that young people don't know. Uh, they don't know all the jobs there are. <laughs> there are so yes, many that's things. Why,
0: <laughs> yes, you're, that's, that's why I'm asking this question because I yeah. think that a lot of times people come into this and think, oh, there's director, there's writer, there's actor. What else is there really? It's like, no, there's yeah. so much. There is so much and so much that's interesting and creative and engaging and and fun and you know yeah
1: yeah and you might not even you might not even realize that the thing you want to do exists so uh so as a as a young sound person i started uh seeing how the hierarchy of a movie project works and who makes the decisions and sometimes the decisions that were made were ones that i considered um ill advised <laughs> even as a young yeah. <laughs> even as a young person. Why does this this crew member get cut and not that one? Why does this department stay on and the other one goes on hiatus? Why, you know, why is the the entire project structured this way and who makes that decision? And after my period of time sort of being uh in the background of the guy who ran this this uh international corporation um I developed a taste, I guess, for for making the plan and being in charge. And I I reached out to the guy who hired me uh, a lot in New York. His name's Phil Stockton. He's a dialogue editor and sound supervisor. Uh, and I remember being so terrified as I said, "I want to take this job to make some money, but I don't want to burn any of my bridges because I want to come back. What should I do?" <laughs> And he was like, make some money. (laughs) This is a tough, this is a tough moment. So, when I was ready to come back, uh, three years later, I emailed him and I said, Hey, surprise, I'm ready to come back. Do you have anything, any space? (laughs) And he, uh, uh, but oh, I I threw him this curveball, but I think I want to be a post supervisor. I know that's crazy. Where do I even begin? And he did me the solid of, He was in L.A. at the time, even though he was based in New York. Uh, And he said, I'm working on a movie right now. We're in the final mix. We only have a couple of weeks left. But I talked to our post supervisor. And if you can get out to L.A. and if you can find a place to live and get yourself a car and basically live like a local – he can get you a badge to the Sony lot and you can follow him around for free for a couple of weeks and he can show you the ropes and introduce you to some people. And I was like, great. I'm, I'm leaving that for LA to be a, an intern. <laughs> so that's what I did. I came out, I bought a one-way ticket actually, um, to do this unpaid job. Uh, I did some couch surfing and it, Became clear to me, and this is something that everybody has to just know for themselves and, and discover on their own. That for me, Los Angeles was the place that I wanted to be to do my work. Um, a lot of people don't like LA. A lot of people prefer New York, or they prefer different environments, and uh, and it just it's a thing that's very individual. But I think I just got a very strong feeling that I needed to stick it out and I needed to do it in LA. And uh, I wish I could say that was the end of my road bumps, but... (laughs) <laughs> that, yeah. was just, that was just yeah. the beginning of, of my work in post. And then I was very fortunate to meet uh, uh, the guy who had recently taken over running post at Bad Robot. His name is Ben Rosenblatt. And he uh, hired me as a post coordinator and later a post supervisor. And then I started working on uh, some of those bigger budget movies post supervising. So for the past three years, I've actually been uh, a executive uh, director of post production at Sony Pictures. And in February of this year, before anybody knew anything was wrong, uh, I quit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Great timing.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> so uh, luckily, I had uh, I have managed to, with the help of people who I've worked with as a post supervisor for years, uh, I've gone to certain individuals, commie included, and asked them if they would be willing to take me under their wing, pretty please, and show me what they do. And uh, that's what I've been doing ever since. And I got to tell you, I love it. I, even even working from home, which is the less than ideal version, and I know that that's what we're here to talk about. Uh, it's just when you're doing the thing that you should be doing, it's not work. And that's where I am. <laughs> and I know everybody says that. But I see Kami, and he's the same. And he's been doing it for longer than I can think of so yeah uh
0: let me yeah i mean and and going back to kami for a second so just to give everybody a sense uh you know you guys have been working on some very big movies we're talking about the biggest movies like venom for example is one you both worked on so like (laughs) so when it comes to like can you guys tell me a little bit about like that one of these projects that you've both been on what the breakdown of roles and what you guys have done on them is so, so we all have a, yeah, a a context a little bit.
2: Um, well, the first, the the first movie that me and Jess worked on was actually the first venom, right? Jess.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: And, and, uh, you know, she, she was my post supervisor. So it was the person that I would answer to for, you know, the budgets and schedules and, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, getting the right things to the right places and the right people and and all that. And so anytime the phone would ring uh, and it's Jess, it, uh, you know, uh, you would always sweat a little bit and go, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> now I get no respect.
2: Well, uh, well no. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and, and we've done a couple of movies together. I, uh, I think Charlie's Angels was the other one. Right? And
1: yeah, at it? Sony, these are these are while I was working uh, as the uh, one of the post execs at Sony. So yeah. yes, and we we worked on Venom first, and actually, even when this Venom started, I was I was, was the post executive. Did the <laughs> yeah, we did the,
2: you know yeah. on the budget and schedules yeah. together. That's but right. at the same time, you know, she did pull me in her office once to you know she wanted to talk, and and again, you know, you start sweating like, well, am I getting fired? Um, and uh, and she just goes. I don't know how to say this, but I, I want to be in sound. And uh, can 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 you help me? And and it was sort of <laughs> sort of a relief. Uh, but um, at the same time, you know, I had a just happened to you know. I get a lot of this where you know people call me up, uh, young filmmakers, uh, friends of you know, or maybe even some interns uh, that are working on some shows. Um, that you befriend and they call you up and want help with sound. Um, And so one of these guys had called and had a film that he had shot uh, a short film, horror film that he had shot. And um, uh, it was sitting on the shelf and we just happened to connect on Facebook. And he's like, Hey, Kami, You know, you know, it's, I know it's a lot to ask, but can you help me finish this movie? And it just really needs a sound job. It's a horror movie and horror movies, you know, are, are sound intensive. It's, it's one of their key roles in in telling a horror story and uh, you know I handed it off to uh, Jessica and Eileen who uh, was my assistant on the show and Eileen did the dialogue and 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 all that and Jessica did the sound design and, and the sound effects and I immediately knew uh, you know because I've done this before where I have oh, you know young people come in and we try and help them get into the business our business thrives on having new uh, people come in and having yeah. new, voices and new um, uh, outlooks on things. And you know you sit with people and you give them something to cut and then come back and watch what they've done and give them pointers and whatnot. But you immediately find out like who's really cut out for this and who really can understand filmmaking. And besides that, how sound works in filmmaking. Um,
0: what are the indicators? I'm really curious well, about that. Like, well, what is- I mean,
2: sometimes it, it you know people are very green and they don't understand how the first step of sound in films, and that could be people that have come out of film school. You know, their focus was entirely like you know producing or directing or acting or whatever. You know, the big, right, yeah yeah, 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 you know, the, the normal things, <laughs> and, <laughs> the normal things. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have yeah, many stories about that, but yes, <laughs> um, uh, so. You know they. You know when somebody comes and sits down, and you show them, uh, like this is how you cut dialogue and make it smooth so that you don't hear the cuts. And and some people pick it up and they get it. And 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 some people just don't understand it. They just don't understand the basics of filmmaking. And and it takes a lot longer for them to get it. And um, but on the sound effects side of things, it's picking the right sound that. Work. I mean, you know, if I open up my uh, SoundMiner Pro, which is our, our database of sound effects, there's a million sounds in this thing, you know what I mean? And you can pick, you know, from 10,000 different door opens. So finding the right door open for what you're seeing on, on the picture and it fits and it plays like that's the real sound that that's playing is one aspect of it. And it's the kind of things like you I immediately found Jessica to be right on top of I mean like she got it, she picked the right things she had the right dynamics of sounds and like how things work and how footsteps fall in and and how what level they should be playing and and you know it's just things that y- you know you have to be hyper aware of um um but they're just little nuanced things to to a film you know and you know, and it's taste having taste, you know, like Walter Murch is a great example of of a guy that has amazing taste on what works in a movie in mm, telling yeah. the to tell the story. You know, it could be it, it could be something very simple as just hand, you know, someone's hand rubbing or, you know, that shows their nervousness at the, on the table when they're tapping on the table or something, you know, but. Um, and every movie is different. Every scene is different. From scene to scene to scene, is it's always different. There's never a magic, like, oh, I know how to approach this sound for this movie. It's all going to be the same. Like, Venom 1 and Venom 2 are completely different movies. And
0: yeah, this is such a fascinating thing because, you know, sound. the sound, as a lot of people know, but, but certainly a lot of people don't know, the sound in a movie is not necessarily the sound that the thing would make in real life. I think one of the first times I realized that was I was watching like Indiana Jones and a lot of his punches sound more like gunshots almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like It's <just laughs> like, oh wow, that's, that's like a really cool creative decision. And of course, if you're a kid who grew up on the, on the Star Wars and the Lucasfilm stuff, you're, you become very aware of the way that sound was used to create a, a universe or a world. But even in, in, in a movie about the world we do live in, the sounds are not the sounds that the things would actually make. Right. And
2: and that's the thing is like, you know, when we go on the set and record sound on the set, the production mixers main job is to get clean dialogue. Right. You know, and 90% of the time that happens, you know, uh, we get clean, depending on location and whatever. But, you know, the sound of the guns, the sound of the cars, the sound of, the L train going up above, you know, things like that. Uh, We place all that and we, we have to place all that just so we can, we can weave it around the dialogue or, you know, have control of it, you know, through the, uh, through the music and dialogue and and in the storytelling of it, you know, sometimes it's important. Sometimes it just needs to be there just to sell the reality of things.
0: You create a world that's completely non-existent on, on, at the beginning, <laughs> essentially, I mean, I mean,
2: if, you know, usually, you know, we actually don't like when we get footsteps on dialogue when when it's recorded, and it's really loud, because we can't control it, you can't control the loud footsteps against the dialogue, you know, you just want clean dialogue. And if by chance, they happen to get good ambiences on when they're recording. Great. If they don't, it's fine. You know, but the dialogue is the important part. That's the that's the the emotion in us in a, on the screen. To have an actor who's in the moment at that moment, performing what he's doing, um, you know, he's in, he's in a scene. He's he's doing it with an, other actors and all that, and and they've they've created this thing, and having somebody to come in to re-record that on an ADR stage and we do this all the time and it and it, it is an art all in itself too but they come into a gray room with six people standing around them going okay go back to where you were before right and right. <laughs> and, and do, give us this just emotional thing that you just did you know you uh, can you recreate that here in this gray room <laughs> you know uh, so getting you know good production sound and 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 I and I love production mixers that are amazing and get us amazing sound. I that's the most appreciated thing in our in our world. And, um, you know, and it's the thing on the set that is uh, that is sort of, you know, sound comes way down the line, you know, everybody else gets their get their thing and the marks and whatever, and then, okay, bring in the sound guy and uh, try and figure out so that you don't put a shadow across the guy's face and let's go, you know? And it's, it's sort of like the last thing every, everybody thinks about. Um, yeah. Can I, will, you- I have one example for you. I would work as, as a, as a uh, you know, a location sound recording guy on, on, a, on a small movie, and we're shooting in this house in Malibu, and it was me and 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 um uh, my boom operator. We're shooting at, inside this house, and a beautiful view of the ocean and all that. And we sort of got kicked out of the the room that we're shooting in because they were trying to light it, and they're like, "Hey, you guys are in the way. Can you go out and wait for us?" So we one sat in the living room, the two of us, and nobody called us in, and all <laughs> I hear is somebody going. You know, okay, ca- camera, and nobody said <laughs> speed, nothing. It's just like I mean, the director goes, "All right, action!"
1: Oh, no. as, as they're doing
2: this intense scene, I, me and, uh, me and this, like, John walk into the room, and they're like, "Hey, you just walked into the shot." I'm like, "Uh, you don't have any sound," and they're like, "Oh shit!" Oh, <laughs> all like man. mad at us We're like
0: what are you doing? that oh, is. That is, yeah. that is, typical.
2: Yeah, and that was the case every time. It just sounds like sort of like the last thing. And we, you know, we have to come in and fix it. Anyway, coming back to Jessica, Jessica and Eileen did an amazing job of of doing that short film and which has won a bunch of awards. Uh, uh, right, Jess? I mean,
1: <laughs> the- <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but yes, it has won some awards. Only, only yeah. like one for sound, though, not like, uh,
2: But it's insane. Like this movie has won so many horror film awards. It's nuts. Yeah. Like literally he puts it into uh, film festivals every week and it, and it, and it always wins. And I attribute that. And he does too. Attribute a lot of it to the fact that the sound works. It really sells the horror in the movie, you know, and that is all Jessica. And she, I literally handed it off to her and Eileen and the two of them, Like made it shine. And those are the people that come in and they sort of, uh, you know, hit it out of the park.
0: Yeah, I think there's a really cool I didn't know this going into this interview, but it's really fascinating to me. And I think it's a great lesson for everyone that Jessica, that you were sort of in one position. You're like, hey, you know what? I don't want to manage this this way. I want to go down at this level and learn it like I want to develop this other skill. Um, and, and and ego wasn't an issue, and you did, and now you're succeeding at that. That's like, that's really cool and and rare, honestly.
1: You know what's so funny is that uh, I don't know if I <laughs> would have done it. Um, I if I would have acknowledged that I wanted to do it, uh, but it kind of came from the idea sparked in my head of cha- of, of making the leap uh, when my when my alma mater, University of Miami asked me to speak to the students, which is very, they do that every week uh, to the students in, in that program. And uh, after telling this whole story about how I started in sound and learned sound, and now I do post-management, here I am, and you too can work for a big studio. Uh, <laughs> a couple of uh, the, the kids who are, obvious, as I mentioned before, they're all musicians, they all want to do stuff. They reached out to me and they said, uh, I've got so many interests. I want to record and I want to mix and I want to perform and play live and I want to actually do live sound and I, I really like all this stuff. How did you choose uh, what you wanted to do? And uh, as you probably have guessed by now in the conversation, the answer to that in, in both cases was, you pick something that you want to do and you start it and you try it. And when you want to do the next thing, when you feel that this that has run its course, Try the next thing because you think when you're in your early 20s that it's a it, you're sentencing yourself to a career almost. Yeah. That if you don't start now on the thing that you're going to do forever, uh, you're already behind the eight ball. And when I started at uh, C5 working for Phil. I remember him telling me that he painted houses until he was 30. Like that's, that was his job. He didn't even start in sound until he was in his thirties. And I held that up as like, wow, I'm way ahead. I'm, I'm 24 and I'm already doing sound. I'm going to be great by the time I'm 40. <laughs> and then things, things all changed and, and went different, different direction. But um, here I am now. 37 and I'm I, I'm starting kind of over again. But what I'm carrying with me is a decade of developing taste and a really deep understanding of the beginning to end process of filmmaking, which I know gives me an advantage over people who are at my skill and skill level, I'll say on, on this playing field, many of whom are much younger than me and God bless you (laughs) for (laughs) for doing it then. (laughs) But, uh,
0: Every everything you do kind of builds to another thing, right? Like every there's a lot of crossover
1: skills. Yes, I would not be the manager I have been for the past ten years if I didn't do the architecture job, which I hated. And there's there's all the it, it all interconnects. So I wouldn't say that I'm start that I've decided to start over. I've just decided to release the set of skills. And to be honest. I love being a post supervisor. I really like it. <laughs> it was, a, and I really like the team at Sony that I worked with. So don't confuse that I've made this jump because I'm so tired of it or disgusted with with doing that side of it at all. I really, really like it. Uh, it just got to a point for me where it was not changing anymore. It sort of it was project after project, and each one is very individual. But I no, no longer felt like I was growing and developing and becoming a. a more of who I am any longer. And after telling two students, (laughs) Hey, I mean, if you if I really wanted to do sound right now, I could, in fact, I've got better connections. (laughs) (laughs) After I said that to a couple of kids, I thought, why, why don't I, why don't I just try it? And, um, so yes, I will say that, that Kami was one of the earlier people I confided in about the idea of doing it. And, um, and he... It, fully respectful. I don't think he expected it to happen maybe as quickly as as I did it. But,
0: <laughs> well, but uh, yeah. Let me ask you guys some things. So, uh, you know, the world has changed a lot in 2020. Um, yes. Let's talk about... So I want to talk about virtual mixing environment technology, which mm-hmm. I don't know much about except what it's called. <laughs> and I think that you guys know about it. And I think our community would definitely like to know more about it and kind of about what direction we're going in. We're remote. Like they, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, how things are changing from the perspective of the way they shot Mandalorian or shoot it in yeah. that, you know, virtual environment and how that's changing the nature of production and visuals. But let's talk about how that works with sound and you guys know better than anybody. So yeah, I well, want to hear, I want to learn.
2: <laughs> well, I, I tell you the, the, The the big thing was, I mean, it's all sound has always been sort of this thing of um, if you want to have a theatrical sound for your film, you need to mix it in that environment, you know, in a theater. And and it sort of makes it hard for, you know, small films and small filmmakers or or young filmmakers to attain coming on to the Cary Grant Theater to mix a movie at you know at Sony, uh, or you know any other large format kind of a mixing stage, um, but this uh, pandemic thing wasn't wasn't sort of the the uh, it wasn't try- the Sony's uh, new virtual mixing environment uh, headphones didn't come from the us dealing with a pandemic, but it just happened to be one of those technology things that just that just happened to be at the right place at the right time sort of like zoom Zoom is to everybody too zoom became this thing you know it was there for a different reason but it got used for that purpose um i was working on venom cutting sound effects for uh for venom two in my garage on headphones i started like i brought my speakers um, much like I have in my edit room, to my garage. Um, and, uh, you know, my kids are doing uh, classes on, on Zoom next door and my wife is working out of, the, out of the house and she always works out of the house. That's her office. And um, very quickly, I started d- disturbing everybody. It, you know, my kids would just, every time I play an explosion, my kids <laughs> would walk around, like, what? what are you doing? And so that turned into me, and I have a schedule, I have things to do, you know, and that turned into me working on headphones, and, you know, it's doable, I've done it before, but it's very, very, very tiring, it's, you know, um, having, you know, explosions, and body hits, and and all the big sounds that happen, um, uh, that close to your ear, constantly for nine hours a day, um, is, is tiring. And, and, you know, I, I literally leave the garage in the afternoon and, uh, just be spent completely spent and not really knowing how everything really comes together. You know, I'm, we're just doing, I'm just cutting the right sounds into place, but it's not really like me trying to mix it or anything. And I would send my tracks to Will Files, and, and he had the luxury of being home by himself and his um, mixed room that he had built in his living room, um, he could play things louder. But again, his issue is also that it's a small environment. This is not a theater. It's, it's a living room. Um, and uh, Tom McCarthy from Sony Pictures, he's the head of the sound department, called me up and said, hey, you know, Sony's developing this headphone thing. Uh, do you want to test it out? Um, uh, because you're going to be mixing on the Cary Grant Theater, and this sort of replicates the Cary Grant Theater. Now, there's other um, versions of of this technology that have been out there. Um, uh, Smythe, I think, is being one of them, but it takes uh, equipment to make that stuff work, and it's you know kind of expensive. Um, so I, you know, I kind of said, sure, you know, I'll try it. You know, anything is better than doing this. (laughs) It was so I, you know, went to Sony. They put microphones inside your ear and and you're sitting in the Cary Grant theater, which is a big, giant theater. Um, And uh, and it's Atmos and and all that um, at Dolby Atmos. And so they, you know, they play a series of tones. And then you put on these headphones, and they play tones inside your headphones. And we're on social distancing with everybody. It's like everybody's wearing masks and all that. And then the crew, who's developing this in in, in Japan, and they're on Zoom. And and you know they hand me a pair of headphones, and and a couple of days later they send me the software uh uh plug in to put in my pro tools and 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 work from home and see what I think the moment I got this thing hooked up and which is actually really relatively easy to do um and I put the headphones on it literally sounded like I was on the carry Grant theater and
0: that's crazy
2: it, it and it is i mean
0: <laughs> i mean that's so basically they recorded what your ears heard when you were in that space. Like yeah.
1: inside your ear. Like I went to, I, Kami, I don't know if you did as well, but I went to also one of the earlier demos of it, Um, you know, more towards the end of last year. And uh, they'll sit you in the room and then the um, for the calibration portion of it, there's actually a little spring-loaded sensor that goes inside your ear. So it measures how the signal is received in that room, one, through those speakers, to. In your ears, three. It's like in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and your biology all, yeah. is very much a part of the calibration of oh. this. Of this, uh, at least where it stands right now, of uh, of this plugin.
0: So they created they create one for you. That's your experience, your auditory experience, being different from any other person's in that. And, space. and
2: I've tried other people's versions. I haven't tried yours, Jessica, but I tried. Mm-hmm. Kevin O'Connell, uh, you know, who's you know a big time, twenty time Oscar nominee and an Oscar winner and all that, um, yeah. His head is totally different than mine, and and what is it like know, to
0: hear someone else hear through someone else's ears? I mean, just, the, this is fascinating.
2: The, the spatial part of it is different. You know, um, um, where I perceive center to be, or where I perceive um, the overhead rings, are are in different places. It's, oh, wow. it, you know, it doesn't sound like it, it's like, it sounds like, you know, you've put your head sideways on the Cary Grant theater or something. Cause it's just only totally his structure, head structure and all that is totally different than mine.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I honestly wish like what? this, this is bringing me back to um having talked to Walter Merch because he, when he, I was asking about what, what about sound? What was it? He was like, well, I always had big ears and I laughed, <laughs> but I was like, I mean, biology's part, like, what you experience. He was like, I experienced the world that way. Like, that's kind of, and, and now I'm fascinated to know. Like, I wonder what the difference, you know, it's almost like people who see, like, we don't know what another person's experience yeah, is, but if yeah, you have I a guess, heightened yeah. sense or a different sense, you know, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's your
2: reality. What's blue to me, you know, could be purple to you, but, you know, but you call it blue. But,
0: but. so it changed the experience on Venom 2. And is it how you guys are working now?
2: Yeah, well, so but basically um, it, it changed the experience of like me cutting sound for the movie. And so I was able to place panning wise and, and, you know, you, you have, uh, you know, somebody going across the screen uh, or, you know, Venom throws some guy into a wall on the left side of the screen or whatever. Um I was able to mix that stuff in and then send it over to Will Files, who's going to be mixing the entire entirety of it. And um, uh, one of the reels, which is the last reel of the movie, always we always n- have no time to mix that, that reel whenever we're doing temps and, and previews for <laughs> directors and whatnot. And um, uh, so I got 20 minutes. Like, literally, Will calls me and goes, hey, I have no time to mix the effects on on Rule 5, and we got to get this done today by, you know, uh, 11 o'clock at night. And uh, so I did this 20-minute pass of me mixing the, you know, the crescendo of the movie <laughs> and, and then the, the next day, you know, we went to the Cary Grant theater again, wearing masks and, you know, socially distance. I mean, it's funny being in a giant theater and it the two of you are like, you know, 10 feet apart and, um, and wearing masks and we played back the real, it was shocking. It was, a, you know, I gotta say it was a little bit louder. Um, but that was like early on in the, in the, um, Programming of the the uh, um, plug-in and and all that, um, it was just a little bit louder, and that was the thing that we're looking for to see what what our input was to it. But it was astonishing for me to sit there and go, "Oh my god, it sounds exactly like how I heard it in the in my headphones in my garage." I was, I mean, literally in my garage while the AC is running and the washing machines in there is running and all that, and I'm mixing you know, a big giant movie on headphones.
1: <laughs> I will say there's there's a couple of moments when I was working at my dining table and uh, I have the, the plug-in running with the headphones <laughs> and my boyfriend walks in and I think, oh, shoot, I must be blasting him out with this. It's so hey, loud in here. <laughs> Because it does, it seems like there's speakers and you still get the room, the room that you're sitting in, you still get the sense of being in a room, not that closed off feeling that you get with just headphones on. So, yeah, that's so I mean, Everybody can hear it.
2: I mean, yeah, I yeah, it seems that way. Things. My wife would walk in the garage and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll turn it down. She's like, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> oh, man, that is so weird. Um, how do you guys think or do you think that this will impact the audience's experience because more and more, because you know, theaters aren't open or some are, the theater experience is changing. A lot of people are doing drive-ins. I've heard some complaints about the sound on drive-ins. I'm sure you guys have thoughts. <laughs> 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 but like what like like does this sort of ability to create the experience of sound in a space
2: yeah, I mean, take us to a
0: different place as as theater goers or as people watching at home?
2: I think this is step one. I mean, it's like sort of like when the iPhone came out, and somebody hands you an iPhone, and and where do you think it's going to go? And nobody knew. I mean, nobody kn- knew that it's going to revolutionize how people, you know, uh, uh, work on an iPhone. You
0: no, know? yeah, I was, I was personally pretty confident I would never need one at the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't you know, need I can, that.
2: I can, I can <laughs> my video games, you know, whatever. You know? but. This this is sort of that. I mean, the opportunities within this technology are. Sorry to say, we use one of their terms is boundless. You know, it it is, um, it is. You know, like you just said, I didn't think of that. You know, the driving movie theater, the driving movies one of the worst things about them is sound.
0: Yeah, that's why I don't want to do it frankly. Like it's like, well, just, like I'm just like eh it's like half the movie experience. Like it's I mean, now imagine you're even imagine even that in
2: your car and you put on headphones and you listen to it like it would sound off of speakers that are tuned by experts, you know. And that's the thing. That's it, crazy. That's just crazy. You're listening to it at reference. We go to theaters. I mean, we mix a movie that's in a theater that's been tuned by Dolby, by engineers. It's perfectly placed speakers and walls and all of that for it to be like the optimal listening experience in a theater. Jessica can – me and Jessica have done this many times where we've gone to other theaters to preview a movie. It's it's mind-boggling that you go to a movie theater <laughs> and it's a movie theater and it's how bad so it is. be. Does
0: Does it – it, so uh, yeah, that's kind of a fun – a topic that I wanted to get to, which is that I don't think that, you know, sometimes you'll hear DPs and, and directors talk about projectionist or the quality of the image and things like that, but how, I don't think it can even come anywhere close to what you must think, you know, when you put all this time and effort, you and, and a big team of people into the sound on say Venom, and then someone's watching it on their TV and the sounds coming off the TV speakers like against the wall. <laughs> Like, is it just like, oh my God, like, I just want to throw your TV out the window? Like, I mean, well, what is that? What
2: is that? Wh- wh- I mean, realistically, I, I, I excuse TV and it's fine because uh, me personally, I don't even have a 5 1 thing in my house. I listen to the soundboard <laughs> on TV. It's fine because I spend so much time in, on dub stages and stuff listening to things loud. At home, I don't care. Um, you but just look
0: at the subtitles at home,
2: right? <laughs> oh, yeah, whatever you know, but I, when I pay to go to a movie theater and it's an experience, right? Yes. I mean, and that's what we're working on. I mean, hopefully we'll get back to it and I'm sure slowly we'll get back to this and uh, movies are a warm medium and, and it's very engaging. It's very hard to do that in side your house in the living room, you know, unless you've built yourself the perfect yeah. theater. Even then you need the, the audience experience, like sort of a together experience of watching a movie. Um, and that's what we work on. That's what we work on that experience. It's, and, and you know, what enables us right now with this in the midst of COVID and all that to do that is the, this headphone, you know, the virtual mixing environment headphones really enable us to do that. Now going forward, some somebody sitting at their home as as far as the sound is concerned i mean you can get giant televisions now and they look amazing but sound purely excuse the expression like shit. but imagine sitting there in your room with these headphones on and you're hearing reference how (laughs) how it was actually mixed
1: or on like Uh, an airplane (laughs) (laughs) yeah wouldn't that be an amazing dream
2: Oh my God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but these like like I love that we're 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 dreaming about what the next step is gonna be. I don't know at what point it would be like that sort of end user integration, you know? Like right yeah. now it's something that works with the, the software that, that we use to make the movie. Um, although I have no doubts that they're looking way down the line with developing
2: yeah, I it. They, I mean, yeah, we we look at it in our world and yeah. In our world and, and you know, to your young filmmakers. This is just like when they made, you know, the A seven Sony A seven camera, yeah, which revolutionalized filmmaking for young people. You know, I, I worked on a movie that was a theatrical movie that Sony put out that was entirely shot on the A seven camera. It's a two thousand dollar camera. So the excuses of having beautiful picture, and this whole movie was like all dark and very um, uh, uh, is a horror movie that was. All took place at night and all that, and it looked and felt amazing. You know, I mean, i not felt as far as like visually, it was amazing, and it was shot on consumer cameras that you and I can just go out and buy and buy a couple of lenses and go shoot the movie.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a great uh, comparison because for people to get a sense of like this is bringing the power to you that hasn't been available to you. You know, yeah,
2: and and it, this is truly the moment that if you, if you integrate this for a filmmaker into whatever format they use to edit their movie or do the sound for their movie and be able to hear their movie, like how it would sound in a theater. It just gives them that access to have great sound in their movies. You, you know, um, Does that mean that every filmmaker is going to be able to make great sounding films? No, because again, it comes down to like what we were talking about with in regards to like Je- Jessica having the ears and know how and, and all that, uh, and the experience and, and that sort of things are going to be the, the things that are going to bind you, you have to, you have to be a filmmaker, you have to be, but, uh, you know, have talent and, and taste and all that. But you don't have to worry about technology, you know, binding you, it's opening up to you, you're able to, you're able
0: to be an artist. Even, yeah, and especially in this remote, we're in this remote timeline now. So it, it also helps it helps everybody to have yeah. that capacity. Yeah. Ken, uh, I, I really appreciate how much time you guys have given us. And before we wrap up, I'd like to end on something like, and we've talked about it already. So, you know, feel free to reiterate points you made or or pass on this one. But what advice would you give to somebody starting out right now, or somebody who is far along in one path in the industry but is curious about sharpening their skill set in another, because you know being ambidextrous is is really important now. You know, someone could be a production manager of some kind and then interested in, hey, I want to do sound design, just like Jessica. So, what kind of advice <laughs> would you guys impart? Yes, go ahead.
1: Oh gosh, uh, well. Uh, I guess I, I would say very similar to what I said earlier uh, is is to try to let go of the anxiety and the expectation that you have for yourself to, to follow a certain trajectory, a certain course, um, or to already know. Uh, honestly, there are moments when I was younger where I wished that I could just have admitted to that I didn't know yet. Um, And and there is a lot of behind the scenes learning. Definitely write down every term you hear that you don't know what it is and research it later. Uh, You know, take your free time to brush up on the things that you didn't understand in that conversation you just heard. That's a
0: good one. I've never heard that before. Really? I might might need to do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard
0: somebody say, write down everything you heard that you didn't understand and go back and look it up. It's That's part of
1: why I always carried a notebook uh, wow. because I would just like anytime that I would hear a conversation that was like, oh, XYZ color space, but it needs to be in you know, something else. I'm like, XYZ RGB, what is all of this? You know, because as a post exec, you also have to know about uh, yes. color, the color workflow pipeline and everything. So anyway, the point is, uh, write down the things you don't know and learn about them, like circling words you don't know in a book. And... Um, and just be, try your best. Like your job as a young person, when you land that job is to be there for it, be enthusiastic, always say yes, and always be available. That's it. It's very simple. It's one of the funnest times in your career. <laughs> I'm returning to it now. And I, I've I've really, it's almost over for me. I think that that little period of, uh, there's no expectations of you other than to do your best. <laughs> and well, maybe you'll have uh, to and- jump
0: into something new. Next time I talk to you, you'll be a DPA or something.
1: I'm, yeah. ready. I'm ready for the expectations.
0: Believe
2: me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but- I think what's going to hold Jessica here in sound, to be honest with you, is the fact that it's always different. You know, films finish. You, this, you know, Ven- Venom will come to an end and it'll be, the next thing you'll do will be a singing and dancing movie. And it's a whole different thing that, that you have to learn and 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 conquer. So, you know, coming from a world... Prior to this, of like you know, mundane jobs or working in an office or or whatever, you do get you do get to a point. There are certain people that just want to constantly grow and change and learn things and and be different and all that. That's the kind of person I am, and I always wanted to do different things. And as soon as something became mundane, I just had lost interest. Whereas, this is such a weird kind of a job because it it, it is a project that ends and for any facet of filmmaking, I'm I'm sure is the same because somebody comes to you and says, here's a new problem. Every single movie has that. Every single little movie has that thing of like, hi, we're going to get through this. And I, what, what do I, what do I bring in to make that happen for a filmmaker? Um, and And then as far as like you being new and coming into this world, you know, I, I walked my daughter around Sony um, Pictures when she graduated from high school and, and spending the summer with us. And what I told her was there's, there's 4,000 people working that, on that lot, you know. And every one of those people are working in the film industry at some facet, on some fashion, and, and, and everybody's getting paid. Everybody you see here is getting paid to be here to do it, to work in films and they all have different jobs. And just don't be blind to like opportunity. I mean, me personally, I started at Sony cutting sound effects on on Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. And opportunities arise from just having other people around, like-minded people around you. Then somebody comes to you and says, hey, if I get this movie, would you you know, help me work on it? You always have to say yes and see where that takes you. Because there's always, a path that opens up. I mean, I didn't, the path didn't come to me to be a sound supervisor where I am now and doing these movies all came from opportunities that presented themselves. And I said yes to, you know, bl- sometimes you just do it blindly. You just say yes and learn along the way. I literally, the first big movie that I worked on was uh passion of the Christ. The movie was in, was in Aramaic and, and Latin and, you know i'm jewish so it's <laughs> but i didn't say no i you know and it had nothing to do with you know uh the money part of it it had nothing it was just sounded so creative and yeah. so um challenging like how are we going to do this how and somebody gave me that opportunity and and you know and put the hand out and i grabbed it and and went along with it and you know you have to take those moments and you got to take those things and just kind of go you know what I'm going to go with it it's all about luck it's all about you know opportunities that just present themselves sometimes there are these little things and 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 they might grow into big be big big, giant things but you have to just be open uh, in this industry and you know there's a lot of things that you sometimes you think you're regretting but they are learning lessons in you moving
0: forward. That's great advice from both of you. I really wanna highlight that idea that uh, there are so many people working in the entertainment industry, in the movie industry, and they're doing so many different jobs. They're getting paid to do so many different jobs that are creative and, and rewarding and interesting. Um, and they're not necessarily the things you're familiar with. Um, lots yeah, of so fun one, to yeah. be on. It's such a cool vibe, such a great yeah. energy
2: exactly it's like i had no idea that that, you know at some day at some point i'm going to be doing sound and you know my mom we used to watch the oscars when i was little uh, in iran and my mom would turn around and go i I would love to see you up there thanking me you know someday and then i'm sitting it, you know cut to me sitting in the in in the academy of the oscars going how the fuck did that happen? (laughs) You You know, it's just, it's out there and it's just you grabbing things and running with it and doing the best you can, regardless of what the pay is.
0: Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the No Film School Podcast. Please make sure to like, rate, subscribe, and leave a comment. Check us out at nofilmschool.com. Like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to our newsletter. All you have to do is get our free How to Write a Screenplay ebook and subscribe to the newsletter in the process. And you'll get the newsletter and you'll get the free ebook and you'll learn all about writing movies. You'll know how to write a movie in 10 weeks. It's, it's pretty cool and uh, doable. We have a lot of really exciting interviews on the podcast both recently and coming up soon. Since we talked about sound today and we referenced this other interview, please check out my interview with Walter Murch, one of the great filmmakers of all time, certainly one of the most important people when it comes to film sound ever, which is crazy, but it's true. Uh, Also check out our weekly podcast where we talk about all the things that happen every week in the world of filmmaking that you might've missed. Thanks so much.